have your sports curiosity cured. Three unanswered goals here in the second period. And it's 4-1. I'm in front. And Edmonton is right back in the game. Fogel second. 4-2. A veteran of the sports reporting game for over 25 years. Nylander along. What murder in front. And he was looking for 34 again. Back it comes to Lilligren. Matthews shoots, scores! Number 50 for Austin Matthews in his backyard. Breaking down Edmonton's favorite teams. Nick is 13th of the year right now. If this score holds, that'd be the game winner. Here's a check stand. Sports Radio is back in the Edmonton area. This is Sports 1440 and the Kevin Carius Show. For Saul, 117, February 22nd. Beautiful day. Minus two. Minus two coming into work. Looking for a high of plus eight today. Even better tomorrow. Plus nine. Great weekend, but it's chilling off for next week. But uh, pretty good weekend, weather-wise, for sure. Um, thanks for tuning in to the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440, your AM dial, driving into work or streaming on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app. We've got the sports1440.ca Option And, of course, if you miss any part of the show, you can catch up by searching the Kevin Carrier Show on, well, we got Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even Amazon. And be sure to subscribe and select that auto-download so you never have to miss a second of the show. Thanks again for tuning in on a Thursday morning, night after, well, morning after, really, for some out on the um, East Coast of a very exciting game. I mean, it was an exciting game in the sense that there were 11 goals scored last night. Boston Bruins beat the Oilers 6-5 in overtime. So the Oilers get a very important point, a very important point last night after being down 4-1 and coming back to tie it several times. Never had the lead all night, but get a very important point and now just three points back of Vegas in the Pacific Division standings with three games in hand. Oh, man, you, every time I see the, a start like this at 8.22 Edmonton time, I think about the people out east and even even the people here in our province that missed out on an overtime. If you went to bed, if, if you went to bed at 4.2 after the second period, you missed a hell of a third period. You missed a hell of an overtime. And wake up, NHL. Just stop. Stop doing this. We all know why. We all know because of the doubleheaders. We know it's TNT. We know everyone knows it. But isn't it almost time to follow the NFL's lead on the rare occasions that they have Monday Night Football and now have two games on Monday Night Football because they figured it out. No sense to stagger the games in the sense of a, uh, a five and an eight start. Alberta time. No sense because you're losing everyone. You're losing all those people. There were people out east with that puck drop at 1022 in Boston that went, ah, yeah, I'll see what I'll see something later. I'm going to bed. And be, but if you start that at nine o'clock Boston time, maybe you get 
people into the game and they're they're waiting around and staying up as late as possibly they can. But the the winning goal goes in at one fifteen Eastern. Ah, I just can't figure it out. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, what can you say about the game-winning goal? It was a really good effort. The Oilers had an opportunity in overtime to uh, spring. uh, It would have been a broken two-on-one. It ended up to be an icing call, and they have three guys on the ice that are kind of tuckered out in Darnell Nurse, Ryan McLeod, and Evander Kane. And, you know, right after that, the Bruins have the possession, and Charlie McAvoy makes a a pretty nice move and a, a pretty nice goal. When you're looking at the sense that the Boston Bruins were down to five D-men right off the hop. And Charlie McAvoy played 30 minutes and 10 seconds last night, scores the game-winning goal, leads his team to victory. An excellent job by the Boston Bruins defense. And tack on the fact, you bring up a guy like Mason Laurie, he had three assists last night, played 23-32. This is a guy that, you know, he's a call-up. Mason Laurie's got 27 games played in the NHL career. They also had... Uh, you know, when you lose Matt Grizzlick right off the bat, that was, uh, you know, you're down 5D right on the first shift. Parker Weatherspoon did everything, did absolutely everything to help his team win. So you got basically three defensemen of veteran ilk, McAvoy, Carlo, and Forbert. That's who the Boston Bruins won the game with last night. Weatherspoon and Laurie are basically raw, you know, you know, they're kind of raw rookies when you want to call it that. You know, Weatherspoon's a little bit older. But amount of games played, experience, kudos to the Boston Bruins defense going down to five right off the hop and uh, winning it last night. Very important point for the Oilers. Having said all that, you can see, and this is not just yesterday, but in the last several games, you can see several components of the Oilers creeping in to the Oilers game that they had earlier on in the season where they got off to such a bad start. Several components, and uh, we saw it at the start of the season. We're seeing a few of them now at, at times of the game, not all the time. It was it was more prevalent at the start of the year. Things like odd man rushes. We saw, we saw a lot of them in prior games, not as many last night as you could say like Detroit or something like that. Uh, a weak goal. Stu Skinner, you know, the goal by Brad Marchand, Got to have it. It has to have it. We saw that at the start of the year. Lack of, of pressure with on an opponent in your own end. Looser defensively, not not pressing and trying to uh, close things off, angle guys off. Uh, you saw that on the 4-1 goal, really. Jake DeBrusque cycling up top. Bruins cycled up top several times before they got the 4-1 goal. Credit uh, Warren Fogle for getting the orders back in it with the 4-2 goal and then the third period to have um, the comeback and keep coming back. Even <laughs> I mean, after the 5-4 goal by uh, Pasternak, I mean, and everyone was talking about Evander Kane with the bad pass, but that was a situation too where Corey Perry has got to move his feet as well. Evander Kane's passing to Corey Perry thinking, well, we're busting out of the zone, not busting because we were at the end of the shift. Corey Perry's got to get the boots moving a little bit too on that play. Same with Leon Dreisettle clearing the zone. Full credit, full marks to the Oilers for coming back again to make it 5-5 and sending the game 
to overtime. Tons of texts coming in. Let's get to them. Rick, one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. One eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. Rick goes. What a poor performance by the Oilers. They have no clue how to defend. If your team is playing poorly, just play the Oilers. Well, and he's disgusted too. You know, the other team is playing too, Rick. I mean, the Boston Bruins are one of the best teams in the league and one of the best teams on the road. So you have to, I mean, tip your hat to the opponent at times when a team like Boston comes in and gets off to a 4-1 lead after the second period. The other team is doing things as well, just like when you say the Oilers come back. Well, Boston, then what did you say? They Would they go back on their heels? Were they very poor in the third period? They just found a way to win. If the Oilers score in overtime, Leon Dreisaitl in overtime scores, and that's another big uh, component here. If the Oilers have an opportunity with a minute 40, four on three in overtime, they got to ice that. that. That's an opportunity to win this game, have a feel-good moment, and ice the game with a 140 power play, four on three in overtime. Stair Farmer, good morning, boys. Oilers need to clean up the giveaways and be harder on the puck. This always getting down in the second period is hurting them. Can't always come back like that. Just happy they got one point because L.A. is pushing hard behind them. So after... The second period last night, Duke had the uh, are you in or are you out on the second period uh, stats. Now in the last eight games, 17 goals against seven goals for in the second period. That's, I mean, you, you're always playing from behind, always chasing the game. It's too tough. It's too tough. And the Duke, what did we, uh, you had it at five or four? I, I said by the end of the month, they would still be at least at negative five, five in yeah. the second period, which would have been, they what, what was it at yesterday? Minus nine? Yeah. And so, and so it now it's th- extended a couple more after well, was, last night. Yeah, it was one, one. So it's four, two. So yeah. uh, two plus two more. Yeah. So, ah, you know. It, the, the thing about being down in the second, like getting down the second period, and even if it's like, they obviously have not been playing well in the middle middle 20 minutes, no. and that's fine. Well, it's not fine. But, like, even if you play well and get down, like, there's just something about it that it starts to creep into your mentality of, like, what are we doing in this middle mm-hmm. section of the game? Because, like you said, Kevin, you cannot expect to do that on a regular basis, and in the Oilers' case, a repeatable basis where it's night mm-hmm. after game after game and against good teams, which the Boston Bruins certainly are like, yeah, they came back and tied it. But imagine if you're only down one instead of three, you know, when you're down four, one, you think that that game's over. Though. That's that's it. That's, right. That you have to give the Oilers a ton of credit to get back in the game, but you can't put yourself in that position. That, that is time the, after time. That's the point I mean. Yeah. Yes. They have the ability to come back against any team, which got proven last night because yes, the Bruins were down to five D men and included without their probably, probably their best defender in Hampus, Hampus Lindholm, Lindholm with it, not in the game in its entirety. Uh, Grizzly missed virtually the entire game. Like, Give the Bruins credit, like you said, but at the same time, the Oilers have to capitalize on that and be like, yeah, they're they're out of it. You have a rookie defenseman back there piling up points and overall played very well, which is funny. He came up in conversation yesterday and we were talking with Schlemmer about potential trade chips for the Bruins if they were to go and add <laughs> at the deadline. But it, against good teams, yeah, you prove you have the ability to come back, but coming back to get a tie game and send it to overtime, that's not the situation you want to be in. You want to be protecting a lead in the last 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 2 minutes of a game, and the Oilers did not have that yesterday. They didn't lead at any point during that game last night. 
Text one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. That Marshawn goal again started the second, and everyone's kind of you sag. You're just sagging to start the period. And again, Stu Skinner's been unbelievable the last couple months. But that was a goal that you saw him let in at the start of the year. The three one goal. It was that little tip in that real slight little tip in the deflection by Trent Frederick. I believe it went just to graze the skate of Vinnie DeHarnay. Just graze the skate of Vinnie DeHarnay, the inside. If that doesn't hit the skate, um, I think it's probably hitting the post or going wide. But uh, it was really hard to tell was, uh, at the game, so it was, obviously didn't see a whole lot of replays and, and things like that on that one. But to come back, I think full marks, you have to give uh, the Oilers a lot of credit to get that one point. Uh, Kevlar says Skinner was hung out to dry. Kev goes, uh, boys, what was Knobloch thinking putting Kaner out there for the D zone faceoff in overtime? Well, that was because it was an icing. So uh, I believe that's what you're talking about. This is from Kev. Kane looked completely lost trying to defend three on three. I love me some Kane, but uh, McLovin should have been out there. So it was a, a play off the boards where the Oilers had an opportunity to clear and the angle of the, the pass to spring a two-on-one was just off, ended up to be an icing, so you can't change with an icing. That's why Kane was out there along with uh, uh, Darnell Nurse and uh, and Ryan McLeod. So that's why he was out there at the end. We'll get to a ton of your texts. We got, they're just rolling in. Uh, and here's one from Kevlar, and this is another one that I noticed last night for sure. You could just get to this one. Dreisaitl needs to step up and take over a game. I thought Leon looked ill, to be honest with you. When they, uh, I just saw a couple tight shots of him, and you know we had, you know, the news of Ryan Nugent Hopkins not taking the skate. I, I think Leon wasn't a hundred percent last night, physically, whatever it was. If there was an illness, you never know how these things can creep in uh, to the locker room. But he was off last night; didn't have jump, and at times of the game where Connor McDavid had the opportunity to. Um, put some will on the game and and the Oilers had the chance to follow it up with Leon uh, that didn't happen and I'll be the last guy to, to <laughs> I mean Leon's one of the best in the world I just don't think he had uh, his energy level last night in the sense of maybe he has a little bit of a, a bug or something like that um, we'll find out more on that the Oilers skate today at 12 o'clock and then uh, Minnesota's here tomorrow and then Calgary on Saturday, and uh, we'll be busy Saturday night. The Duke and I will get to that being at Century Casino for the watch party. We'll talk about that as the morning progresses. Big show coming up today. Uh, Liam Herobin from Oilers Nation will uh, guest with us coming up after the break to uh, break down the Oilers and the Boston Bruins. Ladislav Schmid, our co-host, every Thursday from 8 to 10, checks in in about 45 minutes, and we'll go double-barrel shotgun with our hockey insiders, Mark Spector from Rogers Sportsnet, on the mark for Booster Juice, and Frank Saravalli from the Daily Faceoff, our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. Darren Balachuk, Pandas hockey head coach, will uh, guest with us at 9.20. Pandas ready for playoff action this weekend at... Claire Drake Arena, it feels, you know, it just feels weird that the Golden Bears didn't play any playoff games at Claire Drake. And we've gone to so many of them over the years, Duke. You've gone to a lot. And you think about it, they always had to schedule maybe a game in the afternoon, you know, or something yeah, like Panda, that. Yeah, Panda's, Panda's usually got the, the early slate because 
Traditionally, yes. both of them would be playing uh, all their playoff games at home, but it's uh, hey, I, I'll, I'll 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 be the first to say it. this is a nice opportunity for the local fans to maybe when you don't take in the Pandas action as often because of the earlier start mm-hmm. times or whatever the case. Hey, go out and support the yes. the ladies program because they're uh, they're one of the best teams in the country this year. I can't remember did they have the they had six shutouts in a row, right? Is that what it was or six? at least? Yeah, we'll it, was, it, was, it was over the break. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's the thing. It was over the break. They had one of them was non conference and. Yeah, and then, so yeah, and then that was right when, and as soon as Howie Draper left, we were talking. Howie, every you leave and everything tightens up defensively. <laughs> <hey?"> <laughs> and and it was and the thing is like it wasn't just the one goal like they had each of their goalies in the mix yeah. contributing to that streak. So I mean like just a testament to the strength of the the team overall mm-hmm. for sure. Mike D. Giovanna, L.A. Times, will uh, be with us at ten twenty. That'll be an interesting conversation. He covers the L.A. Dodgers. Is there a team in baseball that more eyeballs will be on worldwide than the LA Dodgers this year? Not even close. Uh, it will be. It's going to be a gong show every game with uh, Shohei Otani and crew in LA. So when we come back, Liam Harobin, Oilers Nation, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports fourteen forty. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Uh, off the top, we are starting uh, a lot of it with the start time and uh, the King of Fort Nasty. Text in. Good morning, KK and Duke. Sleeping in Boston? I fell asleep in the second intermission. Missed the best part. Old man schedule. Cheers. King of Fort Nasty. Very, very true. But uh, yeah, one fifteen Boston time is when Charlie McAvoy scored the game-winning goal. Please stop this. It's just so stupid. So stupid. Um, let's welcome in our next guest our first guest of the show of the show and it's our puck report brought to you by fountain tire and fountain tire is more than just tires they offer a wide range of auto repair and services from their expert mechanics visit fountaintire.com to see all the mechanical services that they offer as we welcome in liam harobin from oilers nation liam first of all thanks for doing this after a late start like this so what would your schedule have been kind of last night with a, a late game and then Obviously, early this morning, you're not exactly crawling out of the rocket quarter after 7, are you? Thursdays are my 8.30 wake-up time. Oh! So it, was, it, was a, it was a bit of a grind to, to watch that game, and then I think I got home at like midnight after watching it, and then I down in Arizona the last day too for on oh. vacation. It's, yeah. uh, the sleep, is, sleep has been lacking. I would be lying if... Uh, if I told you otherwise. <laughs> so the Oilers Nation vacation in, in uh, Arizona, a lot of fun. What was it like? It was amazing. Yeah. Um, the the rink itself is obviously is what it is. Like it's it's very small, and NHL teams probably shouldn't be playing there unless it's like a preseason game in a small town or something like that. But the vibes around it and just the amount of Oilers fans are there that traveled from from everywhere. We had people from Newfoundland, uh, BC, New Hampshire, a bunch of fans from Utah, which was quite funny, come down and, <laughs> and watch the game. So it was just great to, to be around the atmosphere and see the Oilers come back. And obviously a, a bad second period that game, which just made the game more entertaining when they came back and won it all. Man, it is sure funny. Uh, Liam Hurlbin from Oilers Nation, our guest, the difference between productivity between the second and third period, and if people could, uh, the coaching staff could put a finger on it, they would change it in a second in the second period and then uh, continue on in the third. But what do you make of it? it? It just seems like they really shut off, and I know that's a very simple answer, but it's just the effort seems to really just decline. The mistakes just just happen over and over again. It just seems like 
that second period alone, they just go back to the problems they had earlier in the season where they were just they weren't anticipating plays very well and it comes down it's two on ones and then the blame gets put on the goaltender but in reality I know that goal uh, from Brad Marchand wasn't great last night from Skinner but a lot of the stuff that happens right in front of him is really the issue so they just need to kind of calm down I think is the way to put it and try and just just play a simple game they sometimes just overcomplicate things I, I found in the second period and in the third they just come out guns ablaze in and it's I don't know what happens to them. I don't know what kind of energy drinks are taken in the, in the second intermission there to get going, but it seems to work. But it'd be nice if they would stop allowing three goals in that second period. It kind of actually started last five, six minutes of the second period. That's when the Oilers kind of took over the game, if you want to call it, as far as you know, um, productivity, goals. I mean, they tied it up, uh, you know, to make it four uh, two on a goal by uh, Warren Fogle, his second of the game, but. You know, if they they probably played their best hockey. To be honest with you, that that four four minute shift they rolled over the lines at the end of the at the at the end of the second period, where they were just dominating uh, Boston. But what did you make of the comeback? I guess in the third, I thought it was very impressive what they were doing, and and it was it just came through effort. I found they were getting a lot of a lot of shots to the net, and then obviously Swayman, everything was bouncing off him, and then they were able to get some rebounds. And it was simple hockey, right? Like, that's all they were trying to do is just funnel pucks to the net and then see what happened from there. Caused a little bit of chaos. All five of the other goals came from right right around the goal. And I think that's just what the key has to be for them sometimes is to simplify the game. And that's what happened in, in the third period. And there was one shift in particular, sorry, one play in particular, I think really stood out to me and it seems like a really small one. But Ryan McLeod came off the bench after the Oilers kind of hemmed him in his own a little bit and just basically burst right through his guy and got the puck back. And I think that was just a real example of of what they were they were doing, a good amount of energy. And then I think the play from Evander Kane, which led to the Pasternak goal, mm-hmm. was, was kind of the issue that they run into in the second period, right? Just a little sloppy. Like, he had full control of that puck. He had the opportunity to, to bring it out of the zone and do a little chip and then go for your change then. But just a bit sloppy led to a goal, and... I think the Oilers would have won that game, honestly, if it wasn't for that play. Yeah, I mean, that it's 4-4. You have the momentum. They did come back to make it 5-5. I put a little blame on Corey Perry on that play as well. I mean, Evander Kane's looking at him, and Perry's wide open and uh, doesn't get the boots moving. Neither of them had had the boots moving on that play. Same with Leon Dreisaitl trying to clear the zone, and that resulted in the Pasternak goal. What did you make of, uh, Liam, the fact that Ryan Nugent Hopkins didn't play, and there was a much much different look on the power play? Yeah, they really change up the power plays when Nuge isn't there. And it seems like Kane plays more in the middle with Hyman in like a high tip role, I mm-hmm. guess. And it did seem like at points they didn't know how to do it correctly without him, you know. And it just shows how important Nuge and Hopkins is to the, to the team overall. So yeah, you could definitely feel the absence at 5-5. Five and five. Obviously, Warren Fogle stepped up in a big way. And I think that's where he needs to to stay is in that top six. That's where we see the best Warren Fogle. Like, they put him on that third line with Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway, and we call them the cardio line at the office because they just basically skate around. They work really hard, and I think all three of them are very, very good players in their own regard, but they just don't score goals. That line actually hasn't scored a goal together all season at 5 on 5 and they've played about 60 minutes of hockey together, maybe even a little bit more now since the last time I checked. So, 
I think Nuge, the absence of him on the power play was was there for sure. But at 5-on-5, five five, like I said, Warren Fogel did a very good job of filling the void. Liam Hurlbin, Oilers Nation, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Dylan Holloway, we saw move down the lineup again last night. Connor Brown moved up uh, several times over the course of the game. Where do you see the play of Dylan Holloway this year? I think he struggles with his offensive side of the game and just trying to create things sometimes. I I think that him playing at center too is, is interesting. I think he should stay on that fourth line as a centerman, just to add a little bit of, add a little bit of speed there with, you know, if you have Derek Ryan and Sam Gagne on that line, it's not exactly, uh, they're not exactly putting wheels around people, are they? So I think Dylan Holloway needs to stay on that fourth line and just be given a bit of a leash, I guess you could say, just to go out and try and play his game. But yeah, the the offense is struggled. I think he has three goals this season. But then you see what he did the other day. I think it was against Detroit, where he shows the effort and the instincts to to drive to the net, and he finds those opportunities. I, he's just a young player, isn't he? That's trying to find his way a little bit. So, but I would keep him. I would keep him down there in that fourth line center position because I think that's the best way. First team to mm-hmm. success. Well, last night's game was very exciting. It was fun to watch. I mean, it's the, the it's the old adage. They always say, you know, the coaches hate games like that. But it was fun to watch as a fan. What did you think of just kind of, you know, just over the course of the the, the three hours of the, the course of the three <laughs> hours? What was it like just as a fan, but in your perspective? It was. It was prime Edmonton Oilers hockey. They start out, they give a goal away in two seconds or whatever, like two minutes, yeah. in, and then it's just kind of a roller coaster from there, wasn't it? But you got to love it. Like, how is that not the, probably one of the most insane games in, in the league this season, right? Like, two of the best teams just going at it. Like, usually those games are like 3 2 or whatever it may be, right? But it's from 6 5, like, pure entertainment and. It was fantastic, and the thing is, it's, whilst Connor McDavid obviously played really well, it's not like it was McDavid's show. We went out and scored every on every single goal, right? Like mm-hmm. it was everyone contributing from both ends, and I thought it was an amazing game for the NHL. It's just it's a shame it started at what was it eight twenty three or whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. So half the people on the East Coast didn't even get to see it. So it was awesome, though. Yeah, we we touched on that off the top uh, with Liam Robin from Oilers Nation. So uh, the other thing that we uh, discussed uh, in our opener, the fact that the Bruins were down to 5D last night, right off the hop uh, with the injury to uh, Matt Greslick because he took that trip from uh, Ryan McLeod, went into the boards rather heavily and was down for quite some time. And then actually Charlie McAvoy collided with Zach Hyman and he looked to be shaken up quite a bit. McAvoy ends up playing over 30 minutes. Uh, A rookie like Mason Laurie, had three assists, played 23 minutes. Parker Weatherspoon gets in a fight with um, uh, Corey Perry and probably shouldn't have taken the fight at that time of the game, but he did. So just your thoughts on what the Bruins did last night because people are saying this and that, but, I mean, Boston's one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, exactly. It's not like they lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets last night, is it? Like, Boston, they're going to give you a test. And, yeah, that's the fact that Boston went down to five defensemen, like you said, I don't think uh, Parker Witherspoon wanted anything to do with Corey Perry in, mm-hmm. in that moment, but Corey Perry basically gave him no choice. But it was impressive from their front, and I've kind of said this on our show a little bit too. I think that's just the culture of what the Boston Bruins have been able to build over the last 10 years or so, maybe even probably even a little bit longer. Uh, just having that mindset of the next guy up, just keep playing and we'll find a way to win. And, 
that's what the Bruins do. Like their their roster actually doesn't look that good on paper. And not to discredit <laughs> them by any means, but I think someone said to me last night they had four players or something like that who have played under thirty games in the yeah. NHL. And they found a way to do it. And I think that's also something that Oilers fans should take away from it as well, is when we talk about all these guys that we need from the trade deadline and all this stuff and of course we want the perfect roster, who doesn't? But you look at what the Bruins were able to do last night with a not-so-perfect roster and find a way to beat an Edmonton Oilers team at home who I think have lost once mm-hmm. in the last 20-something games. It's about your your presence as a team, I think, more than the players on the ice sometimes. Liam Harobin from Oilers Nation, our guest on Sports 1440. For a second, I was hoping that you could put on your Sherwood Park Crusaders hat. We've talked about it all year, but just with the situation that happened, uh, you know, over Christmas and uh, and then into the new year, can you just kind of discuss what, I guess, the reaction's been uh, with the Crusaders, one of the, one of the five teams uh, leaving the AJHL earlier than they'd wanted to, and uh, what the reaction from fans and everything that you see in Sherwood Park? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think saying it's been a crazy time would be a bit of an un- understatement, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everything went down very, very quickly and unexpectedly. I think it's fair to say, from our perspective, we never, we never said that we were wanted to leave the AJHL. Like, obviously, we went through and did our due diligence of finding out what the BCHL was all about, and then all of a sudden, we weren't allowed to play games anymore, and our players just weren't playing. And, we kind of have to take the action of finding a way to allow them to play. But now we're in the BCHL. Our, our games have been the, kind of unbelievable, to be honest. Just the competition of of all these teams that we're playing against now. We played Brooks a couple of weeks ago. I think the final score ended up being 3-1. But it was just a fantastic game of hockey with all the players involved. I think there was almost 30 NCAA players on the roster. Uh, yeah, future NCAA players mm-hmm. playing in that game. and. We've had great games against Blackfold, Spruce Grove, and Okotoks now as well. And I, I think there's this stigma of we're not going to have Alberta players on our roster or anything like that. It's like, well, if you go back and look, actually, we have more Alberta players than I think it's now five or six of the of the teams left in the AJHL. So we have no plans to, to move away from kind of our identity of having homegrown talent. Like, we're just outside of Edmonton. Yep. We, we're a bit of a hub of it all, right? So our plan is to kind of stick to that and just get the best players available, but also not lose who we are. So a couple of game, big game this weekend against Okotoks and should be a good one, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for our listeners that don't know Liam Harobin, uh, scout with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. And what's, what was the reaction when the announcement to, was made for the new facility coming up? It's going to be a few years, but must be very exciting for uh, Sherwood Park hockey fans. Yeah, and I think too. Like I think people are tired of, of driving out to New Surreptor at seven thirty in the morning <laughs> on a Saturday to, to go and do some practice. So I think it's very welcoming for the the town here to have four more sheets of ice, and it's not going to be hockey stuff too, right? It's probably going to allow us to bring some some concerts and maybe other other events too to to Sherwood Park. And I'm I'm really excited for it to be honest. It's uh, I like the show at Parkerita. I think it's got a lot of character, but mm-hmm. it's been around for a while, and obviously that place isn't going anywhere. But to have a new facility is just going to be just going to be cool. And I think it's a, a good a good example of how hard the the organization has worked over these last like six seven years. To be honest, to try and get this this program to another level and having a rink in a big rink in Shore Park is just going to be that next yeah. step. So it's very exciting. Anything cooking specifically for yourself uh, on Oilers Nation and the crew there in the next bit? Uh, we have our show today, but 
not too much after that, just kind of the, the regular stuff. Oh, we have our our BOA watch party this weekend at Greta too, which you can buy tickets at nationday.ca, mm-hmm. so that should be a lot of fun. Then we have a brunch for Ben in a couple of weeks too on, on March 2nd. Matt, all you guys do is party. I mean, come on, man. You're in, you're in Arizona. You got another shaker this weekend. What's up, man? I know. I, they pay us to do it, so I just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, good thing the Duke is in there because we'd never see him. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's always welcome. <laughs> yeah. Liam, thanks for this. Appreciate it, man. Have a good one. You too. Have a good day. That's see you guys. Liam Robin from Oilers Nation and our puck report brought to you by Fountain Tire. Head to FountainTire.com to check out their winter tire lineup and brand offerings tons of text coming in still one 1440 this comes from titan and it's a very interesting take and there are a lot of people like this uh titan says i feel like i'm in the minority i love the late games just like the jays west coast games my kids are just going to bed peace and quiet to watch the whole game without interruption if the game stinks roll over go to sleep very, very solid points. I mean, it's just solid points. I think a lot of people are like that. I, I just, just still think that, you know, you have the opportunity to start these games on the weekdays at 7 o'clock, and the NHL misses the boat on it a lot. I have I don't have a problem with the 8 o'clock Saturday night games, but 7 o'clock I think is a, 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 just a perfect start time for the weekday games. When we come back, we'll get to more of your text. We'll get some Oilers sound from last night. I believe Corey Perry talked, Zach Hyman talked, and Warren Fogle talked. So we'll get to some Oilers sound when we come back after the break on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. The 740 break means the Duke and BA together again. <laughs> uh, text coming in, one 1440 Brent from the hood, I think. Who? Hood? Boys, take off your analytic hats for a minute. Okay, the defensive game was off last night, but give that game or take that game over a 2-1 any day. Way more fun, entertaining. Ask the fans in the stands. Isn't that what it's all about? Go Oilers. Well, we said it all morning so far. It was entertaining to have 11 goals and to see the Oilers have the ability to come back and to tie it and then Boston retake the lead at 5-4 and then... uh, you know, Zach Hyman make it 5-5. You know what? Like, Jeremy Swayman was pretty bad last night, especially in the third period. I mean, the two goals that he let in, Duke, the ones that were right in the breadbasket. It's, it's like he was made of rubber. Oh, like he could, man. He, he couldn't get anything to stick to him. The Yanmark goal, you know, it slipped through him, and Yanmark poked it in. I do not know how that went through him. No clue. Well, and then even the second one on Hyman, it hits him right in the thing, and Hyman's, okay, Hyman's just putting it on net. Yeah. Like, and then for it to find room going down low, um, I mean, he was down already. It's not like he had to go down into the butterfly. So uh, Swayman was 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 not sharp at all. Um, well, Duke. So some interesting post game comments last night. We'll get to some of those. We had uh, three Oiler players talk after the game last night, plus the head coach uh, Chris Knobloch. But first, let's uh, let's check in with Zach Hyman, who scored uh, the goal to make it five five. His thirty fourth. Of the season, uh, that was just 43 seconds after um, David Pasternak scored an incredible goal to make it. Uh, well, it was a good shot, a short side, uh, blocker side on uh, on Stuart Skinner. But Hyman, just 43 seconds later, tied it up with his 34th of the season. And here's what uh, Zach Hyman had to say following the game last night. How do you do that? You grab a point, maybe in a game, you 
or thrilled to be down in the way you were? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you grab bits and pieces, right? I think you're happy with the way that you battled back, you know, 4-1 against a really good team to be able to come back twice um, and earn a point, I think, is, um, you know, it says a lot about our team when we face adversity. And at the same time, you don't want to put yourself in that position, right? I think you have to, we have to learn, you know, since we've been back, I think we put ourselves in this position too, too often. And uh, we have to learn to, you know, play consistently throughout the whole game again. Like you have a power play to start overtime for <clears> three. <throat> you know, as you mentioned, battling all the way back. Real good opportunity there, just unable to cash. What did you see about the power play? Yeah, just uh, I thought we had a Lux, obviously. Just, you know, just missed the net by a little bit a couple times. I think we made a couple good saves on Leon on the one-timer. and um, Yeah, you just got to get Lux, and we had a Lux. It just didn't go in. Corey Perry, you know, goal in the fight again. That's I think twice already this year. Just talk about how he's kind of maybe added a little bit of, you know, knowing when to try to stir things up to get the team going. Yeah, I think, you know, the greatest compliment you can give us somebody is he's just a, a winner, right? I think he knows how to win. Um, he knows what it takes. He's been in the league a long time. He's been in the finals. You know, I don't know how many times he's won a cup. Like, he's a guy who has done it before and, and can drag people into the fight. You know, it's 4-1 um, or 3-1. I can't remember what the score was at the time, but, you know, he gets into a fight, and, and obviously we get some life in the third. He gets a huge goal. You know, those are the goals that, that are scored in the playoffs. A tip, <clears throat> follows it up, rebound goal. We need more of that, I think, so... Um, just a, a solid addition for us, obviously. Was there a conversation? You guys see anything in the first two periods? Because three goals directly off of point shots, and you just thought, like, it's, that's not something that's necessarily come for your team a lot. Mm -hmm. But you had three of them right in the third. Was that just a concerted effort from something you'd seen on film at all? Uh, I think it's just a concerted effort to get to the net. Like, I think that's, um, you know, I think for a little bit, five and five. Goals are hard to come by for for us. Even during that winning streak we were on, we weren't scoring as you know too many five and five goals. We weren't letting up a lot, and I think it's it's uh, an effort to to get to the areas where you score. I think, and we've worked on it, and I think we're doing a good job of doing that. And now we got to I mean, clean things up on our own end and make sure that we're not giving anything up. Zach, how would you say the dynamic or makeup of the lineup changed tonight without Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Anymore? Well, I mean, Nugent is an unbelievable player and a huge part of the team. He plays. Uh, in every facet of the game and you know he's the first guy over the boards in the PK he's on the first unit um, plays a ton 5-on-5 five five, so can't replace a guy like that so just uh, a huge huge part of the team and, and obviously we missed him Can you talk to how Fogel played tonight to this part? Yeah I think Fogel played uh, awesome I think yeah. um, he's a guy who when he gets an opportunity to, you know, move up in the lineup, he makes the most of it, obviously, right? I think um, he's someone who's fun to play with. He works so hard. He drives the net. Uh, he makes plays. So I think he's he's pretty underrated, in my opinion. I think he is uh, a phenomenal player, and, and I think he can create offense at five-on-five, five, and that's really hard to do in this league. So, um, yeah, he's a, he's a great player for us. That's Oilers forward Zach Hyman following his uh, 34th goal of the season, 6-5 Boston over the Oilers last night. Uh, off the top of the show, we, we touched on, I guess, several areas where components, several little areas, several components are creeping into the Oilers game that we saw at the beginning of the year. Um, a little thing like if you want to talk about team defense and, you know, Boston's lineup, 
can put the puck in the net. They're not they're they're not known for like a, a six five game every night like the, we saw last night. But I mean, there was you know what they have 12, 13, 14 games the Oilers had before the All Star break, allowing two goals or fewer in those starts. Now in the last what I guess eight starts, there's thirty two goals allowed. So you know that's double. So it's team defense. It has to tighten up. They know that. And there's going to be a concerted effort, I believe, this weekend. <laughs> it's funny to say when you talk about Minnesota, when Minnesota comes and puts up, you know, a 10 spot against Vancouver. So, but I believe there will be a really concerted effort on many parts of defensive awareness moving forward. The penalty kill unit is another area, and it's been discussed about the last you know, several games, you know, going in to the all-star break, it was, <laughs> was really good. Uh, now, you know, the opposition scored, I think 11 out of the last 24 since the bye week So that's the, the PK unit has to tighten up as well. These are all areas that need uh, tightening. Uh, Duke being at the game last night, a little different than when you're watching on the broadcast, but uh, we had Louis DeBrusque on. A lot of, lot of love for Louie and Jake last night during the game. Jake DeBrus scores to make it 4-1. He could see how fired up. He was mic'd up, I guess, too. So didn't, I obviously was at the game, so I didn't hear a lot what he was saying. But they had a little little talk before the game, and it was pretty neat neat little moment, father and son. What, what did you think of it? Yeah, and, and I, I don't know. I think there's probably some uh, some... I hate these. It's such a lame term, but the, but the haters out there that say like, oh, why why don't we talk about this a little bit more? Geez, like focus on the game. But like, this is such a rare circumstance, and I think we should embrace it as as viewers, mm-hmm. as the fans at home watching the game. Like it is so unique that you have a guy at ice level, a former NHLer, calling the game with his son in the game, hometown team uh, visiting it, of course, uh, with the Bruins in town. So I, I thought it was great. You, you hear the little pregame banter, uh, the pregame hit. Uh, between Jake and, and Louie, they, they betting him 30 push-ups for the point, and it kind of referring back to it throughout the night about, yeah, it seems like Jake's, uh, you know, a little extra gas mm-hmm. in the tank, doesn't want to do those push-ups. So I, I love the the <laughs> dynamic and the element. Louie is such, like, a great guy and so um, lovable and adorned by the fans for his work on the mm-hmm. broadcast. Like, getting to see him be a hockey dad for for a night while still doing his job, I think, just gave a little extra, extra juice to it. And as a viewer at home, I, I liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot. Uh, a lot of texts coming in uh, to one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty about the icing in overtime and the fact that uh, the Oilers didn't call a timeout. Well, the rules are you can't call a timeout. So Rob uh, and Playoff L and a couple other ones that texted in, uh, Playoff L just says insights into why no timeouts were called after the overtime icing. KK from Rob says, uh, KK, am I ris- missing something? Why didn't the Oilers call it? timeout after icing well when they implemented this rule it was because of that and they didn't want to have an advantage given because you have a team on its heels and you are forcing the play you're making them um you're you're exhausting them so don't let that creep in you know don't let that uh that opportunity for the defending team to call a timeout i agree with the rule it's been in place for for a lot of years look at what happened at the end of the second period the oilers were all over boston all over there i mean guys were having three minute shifts out there for the bruins but the oilers just couldn't score couldn't score so 
the rule's been in place for several years. I think it's a good rule. Players like it. It, it just affords the opportunity for that offending team to make a change, have fresher bodies. We want offense. That's what it's all about. When we come back, Ladislav Schmid will enter the building. Mark Spector will be with us. So we'll... Uh, We've got a busy 8 o'clock hour. Of course, Frank Cervalli at 8.20. So uh, between Laddie, Speck, and Big Frank, man, we're rocking and rolling here in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update. Brought to you by Tommy Guns, home of the ultimate grooming experience. Our hot towel shaves, awesome haircuts, and treatments were designed for you. Book now at TommyGuns.com. Here is the Duke.